Hello everyone, I'm Jonathan Little. I'm here today with episode 296 of Weekly Poker Hand. I want to thank you for being here with me today. Today we have a very, very interesting hand from Best Bet Jacksonville playing 5, 10, 25, no limit hold'em. We have Zach opening with Ace, 8 of Diamonds from Under the Gun Plus 2, so probably low jack seat. And then we have George in the high jack seat with Jack, 5 offsuit. So we have a $100 raise from Zach playing $7,000 deep, and George now decides to 3-bet with Jack-5 offsuit to $400. So, obviously, Jack-5 offsuit is way too loose, but it's become clear to me from watching some of these hands that George likes to play pots and he likes to bluff. So, certainly not going to fault him for that. If you know your opponent enjoys bluffing, what should you do? What's the right adjustment? Well, from out of position in Zach's shoes against the player who likes bluffing a lot, you should actually widen your range a little bit and then just don't fold to three bets because this is a situation where if your opponent's three betting stuff like Jack-5 offsuit, and this is you know, not the first time George has done this, uh, hands like, well, Zach's ace to diamonds goes way up in value. It becomes the best hand very frequently. And um, if you even out of position, if you know your opponent's range just contains way too many bluffs, you can be quite sticky pre-flop and just try to flop decent pairs and then don't fold. What a lot of people do wrong here is they'll raise ace eight suited, then they'll just fold it to the three bet. And that is a big mistake if your opponent's range contains all sorts of junk. Obviously, George is going to have aces and kings and queens and jacks and all the good hands here, but he also has a lot of just total garbage somewhat randomly. So anyway, Zach does elect to call. You could four bet. The problem with four betting, though, is that say you do make it $1,400, um, George may just rip it all in, and then you don't really want to be calling it off for... Uh, don't even know how many big blinds this is. Goodness, 200-something big blinds, 250 big blinds with the ace-eight of diamonds. Obviously, you don't. So I think you'd rather just call these hands. With hands like ace-queen, though, those start to become reasonable four-bet candidates just straight up for value with the idea that you're not folding if you get jammed on. So he does call. And now the flop comes ace-six-three. And now Zach decides to take a weird line. He is lining up a lead very rarely. If ever, do you see a lead in a three-bet pot? Now, why would you want to lead here? You'd want to lead here if you think it's going to induce a bluff raise. Otherwise, why would you want to lead, right? Because the aces are not going to fold. But now, like hands like kings may call one bet, but they're going to fold to a turn or a river bet. So yeah, you get a little bit of money in against those. But if your opponent does have a hand like jack-10 offsuit, normally they would just fold to a lead, right? Well, jack five offsuit, like we see here, it would normally just fold to a lead. However, perhaps Zach knows something about George's strategy. Perhaps he knows that George cannot turn down a bluffing opportunity. I don't know if that's the case or not, but it sure seems like it from me watching a few episodes of the Best Bet Jacksonville stream that he enjoys bluffing. And now Zach is led. Once Zach leads, George very quickly throws in $1,000. So he min raises effectively. So the question is, is this what Zach wanted? And I think this is exactly what Zach lined up. I think Zach, if he checked and check called the flop bet, he probably thinks that George would realize that Zach very easily could have an ace. And if he has an ace, he's probably not folding. When he leads and then gets raised and then calls, George probably now thinks that he has a whole lot of marginal-ish aces that may fold to a turn bet plus a river jam. So look, I don't think I've ever made this play in my whole life in Zach's shoes, 
But this is a good example of a spot where I think it could be the right play in this specific spot if your opponent really is not afraid to blast whenever they think you don't have the nuts. But to be fair, if I'm playing against someone who looks like Zach, he seems like a competent kid who has $7,000 in front of him, he probably knows how to play poker. And if I was in this situation, I would not think this guy is going to make big folds by the river. Um, the people who are going to make big folds, usually they're more recreational players, people who care about the money a lot. And you're going to find that a lot of young kids with $7,000 in front of them at 5, 10, 25, they, they often don't care about the money so much. So anyway, Zach does call. I would have looked a little bit more reluctant if I called in Zach's shoes. I would not have um, called quickly as he did, but he did. Turn is a queen of diamonds. And now George has decided if he actually wants to go for it. And this is where I, I wish I could hear what these guys are saying. They're chatting each other up. I don't know what they're saying, but it's uh, definitely a spot where you have to be very careful when you're playing against strong players. And I don't know anything about Zach, but he's probably a strong player. And strong players are probably decent at table talking. Now, this is a this is a dicey subject because, not, I mean, always, not usually, but or usually but not always, the people who really lean heavily on table talk are often the players who lack fundamentals. Not always. I'm sure I can get lots of hate emails for that one sentence. But usually, the players who rely on table talk lack fundamentals. Now here, the question is, if we do think Zach is a very strong player who maybe has good table talk skills, maybe not, do you want to engage in that table talking skill? And I think the answer to that is probably no, but then I've just all of a sudden taken away the table talking skill of the table talker. The thing is, is that like when someone's trying to table talk me, I just essentially ignore it if I think they are trying to induce one way or the other and I don't know which way. And usually people who are playing high stakes who lack fundamentals but are really good at table talking, they're probably good at swaying my decision one way or the other given I don't think I'm like the best table talker in the world. So just ignore it. And if I just straight up ignore it, now we're just playing good fundamentals against not good fundamentals and the good fundamentals will just win all the time. So it's an interesting spot. I think a lot of people who do table talk as well, they think they do it well, but they don't. Again, I have no clue what these two guys are, are saying here, but a lot of people think they're way better at it than they are. A lot of people just talk a ton when they're bluffing and none when they're value betting or the opposite. They'll talk a ton when they're value betting or a ton when they're not. Um, Zach Elwood has a good book, Verbal Poker Tells. If your opponents like to chat you up during the hand, read Verbal Poker Tells. It'll go a long way to helping you understand what people's speech means. That said, I really do lack experience of this completely because in the high stakes tournaments and cash games, people usually aren't talking a whole lot during the hands. And if they are, you know, you can you can uh, feel free to respond as you like, but I I tend to ignore it besides the, the uh, information in Verbal Poker Tells, which, again, if these players are good, they've obviously read that, and that means that they can reverse it, and if they can reverse it, then I should just, I should just ignore it. Anyway, on the turn, let's go back to the board. Ace-6-3, Ace-8-led, Jack-5 offsuit raised, Ace-8-called. Turns a Queen of Diamonds, giving Ace-8 the backdoor flush draw as well. Zach checks, George bets 1000 So now, Zach has $6,000 in his stack. I would have bet a little bit bigger on the turn, something like 1400 from George if I was going to continue bluffing. In this spot, if I wasn't George's shoes, I would only be bluffing in this spot with diamond draws or like 5-4 if I had it. If you had, I guess, 7-5 or 7-4, you could bluff with those two. But this is a situation where if you are bluffing with much more than backdoor flush draws and straight draws, 
you're just bluffing way too often. And if you're bluffing way too often, what should your opponent do? The adjustment your opponent should make is not call a little bit more. They should call way more. So now, if Zach realizes this, if he realizes George is playing far too many hands, he should just literally never fold this ace eight. Even if the river is like a king or a queen or a jack or a ten or, you know, any any bad card for him, he should still just check and then call because George's reign probably contains far too many bluffs. That said, what a lot of people mess up here is they check call the turn and then they check fold if their opponent blasts the river. And then you're just really playing into George's um, aggression, right? Because you put in $2,400 and now you're going to fold, which is awful. So we do face a $1,000 bet and Zach does call the ace eight. River is a 10 of hearts, actually a pretty bad card because King Jack gets there, Queen 10 gets there. Not that I think we're against that all that often. And now Zach acts kind of funny and then checks. And then George is giving it some thought with a Jack-5 offsuit. I mean, if I found myself here, I'd just be all in. That said, uh, you're going to get called if your opponent's competent. So George is giving it some thought and counting out some chips. They're also doing some table talk to each other. And it looks like George does uh, make a big bet. $4,000 bet. I'm not sure why he didn't bet all in. 4825 Maybe he thinks that if he's going to call 4000 he's going to call anything. This is a spot where... Look, you're trying to get your opponent to fold an ace, right? So how do you get an opponent to fold an ace? I think the answer is definitely to bet big or or the alternative is to bet a weird middle size like 1700 that just screams value. One of the two. I'm usually not a fan of this middle bet size. I mean, to be fair, 4000 and 4800 are basically the same. But I think 4800 is going to apply just a little bit more pressure to the point that you will start to get some folds. Um, again, I'm not sure what these players are talking about. Maybe maybe Zach's like the best table talker in the world, is getting reads, et cetera, et cetera. But look, if, like I've already said, if you have the ace eight here against someone you think bluffs way too often, I would have just check call flop, check call turn, check call river. Zach went for the line of leading, which bloated the pot. And uh, presuming he makes the call, he's just going to win way more. Oh, he made the call very quickly. <laughs> he called in about uh, three seconds, as he should have. One thing I would also recommend here from Zach or for Zach, is that when you make this call, I would tell you not to snap call it, kind of like you did. Because when you snap call here, or close enough to snap call, it basically lets George know, if he's thinking about this, that you knew what was happening the whole time, and that, I'm not going to say that you necessarily owned him, but you kind of owned him. And if you owned him, then he's going to stop bluffing you so often in the future. You want to make him think that this bluff almost worked. Because if he thinks the bluff almost worked, then he's going to continue trying the bluff in the future. Now, maybe he's always going to continue to not trying the bluff in the future. But if he thinks that you were like that close to folding, maybe you'll think, oh man, I should have gone all in instead. If I'd gone all in, maybe he would have folded. Then he's going to try it again, right? Whereas if you snap call, he's going to think, oh, don't bluff that guy again. But you want him in there bluffing you, right? I mean, you really want people three betting with the jack five offsuit and then blasting off. So definitely an interesting live hand here. And... Poker's fun. <laughs> there are a lot of interesting dynamics going on, especially in live poker. And this is a situation where I think Zach knew what he was doing this entire hand. He did everything he could to induce a bluff. He raised preflop, called the three bet way too wide, led the flop, called the raise. He set it up, check called turn, check called on a bad river. I think Zach played it great to maximally exploit George. George, on the other hand, I would say, you know, like you, you are running way too many bluffs. And against the good, competent players, these are not the players you want to be running the bluffs against. Now, it's fine every once in a while, but I would tell you to actually chill out a lot against the players who are 
aware of what's going on and who are going to make relatively light call downs. Like right here, realize three, 250 big blinds each went into this pot, something like that. And uh, top pair bad kicker won. And it called pretty quick on the river. Like it, it, there was no thought required here. And if that's the case, you just don't want to bluff that player anymore. Um, this is this type of play is good. We'll call it advertisement for the future. But at the same time, you don't want to give away six thousand dollars for for fun. So uh, I, I think I think there are much better candidates to attempt these bluffs against. And if I was bluffing in this spot against a good player, I would just always have a backdoor draw of some sort. And I mean, that's just going to result in you bluffing off way less often. Which, which is good, right? You still have some bluffs. You still get to attempt it. Your opponents are still going to hero call you. But then your range is going to be tilted towards value, meaning when they call you, they're going to be losing money on average instead of here. When he calls with ace eight, when he calls with ace eight, I bet he's just printing money. All right, so that's going to be it for this episode of Weekly Poker. And I hope you enjoyed it. If you liked it, leave a comment in the comment section on YouTube or let me know on Twitter at Jonathan Little. If you are watching this on YouTube, click like and click subscribe. That goes a long way to helping me Help other people who want to improve their skills. So good luck in your games. Have fun. And I'll talk to you next week.